Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. If you're new to the podcast, this is not a preaching podcast. It's not a seminary class podcast. It's simply me talking about practical issues related to ministry leadership and trying to offer some perspective or some guidelines or some suggestions about how you can practically do the work better of uh, sharing the gospel, making disciples, building churches, uh, structuring ministries, the things we do as ministry leaders. Last week on the podcast, I talked about men's ministries. Specifically, I talked about uh, my involvement recently with four different and very distinct expressions of men's ministry. I spoke at a major conference. I uh, led a men's retreat. I'm engaged with the men's ministry of our church, and I'm helping with as a mentor and consultant, uh, the National Ministry to Professional Baseball Umpires. And so in those contexts, I have had a lot of different experiences with men's ministry. And while it's not unusual for me to be involved with men's ministry, it is a bit unusual to have all of those kinds of major events come together in just a few short weeks in my schedule. And so because of that, I was able to uh, look at some commonalities among those ministries about what makes men's ministry stronger. And I mentioned those last week on the podcast. I said they had committed leaders that were more administrators than speakers who had a clear vision for what they were trying to accomplish and the skills to organize and administrate that kind of vision. Uh, they have clear message. They understand the message of biblical manhood. And while they understand that toxic masculinity is a bad thing, uh, they don't let that phrase define all aspects of maleness in our culture today and really have a good understanding of what it means to teach a proactive, a positive, apologetic, if you will, about, man, about manhood. They also uh, really, what I say, connect with a male perspective or the, uh, the, the, um, the man, a man's way of looking at the world. And I mentioned several different aspects of that last week. Now, today I want to shift gears just a bit. I still want to talk about men's ministry, but rather than talking about uh, men's ministry separate from the life and work of a church, I want to talk today about how to shape your church's ministry uh, to be more engaging with men and to be more effective in uh, leading, discipling, and reaching men. Now, in order to do that, I'm just going to give you some simple suggestions that you can put into practice uh, that uh, won't revolutionize what you do, but will shape what you do and perhaps make it more effective in working with men. The first thing I'd like to challenge you to do is to design worship services with men in mind. Now, I say that very carefully. Design worship services with men in mind. I did not say design worship services exclusively for men. That's a mistake. A church has men and women. It has men and women of a wide range of ages. It has uh, teenagers. It has children. It has preschoolers. A church's Sunday worship service has to be designed for the full audience or the full participation of everyone who's a part of the church. I get that. But I wonder sometimes if church worship services today are designed at all with men in mind. In other words, do the worship leaders ever think about how men are going to perceive or encounter or participate in the service and what that means in terms of their worship planning? Now, to help you do this, let me give you two suggestions that I put into practice when I was a pastor and have trained others to do over the years that have been fairly effective. Number one, select a representative man in your church and ask yourself repeatedly, how will this man interface with whatever it is you're planning on doing? Now, 
for example, when I was a church planter, we had a man in our church whose name was Sonny. He was uh, in his 50s. He owned a small construction company, and when I say small, he had at one point employed a lot of men, but he had over the years decided that that was costing him more money than he was making, and so he had scaled his construction company down to basically him as the only employee, and he had developed a, uh, a specialized function of digging foundations and doing all of the earthwork for custom home builders. And he had a few custom home builders who built just enough homes to keep him busy. And so he had um, a relatively uh, successful small business in which he spent most of his days on construction sites, moving dirt, driving machinery, uh, and uh, interfacing with other primarily men who worked in those contexts. Now, Sonny was also a very committed Christian. He had served in churches in the past before he came to be a member of our church, and he had been a deacon and other prominent roles of church leadership. He was married, had a very uh, fine wife who was equally committed to the Lord and very much also engaged in our church. They were um, solid, even-tempered, big-minded people who believed in their church and didn't have any agendas about what they wanted from it. They were, they were just those good kind of people you build a church around. And so when we would plan worship services, um, I had a very young worship uh, leader who obviously saw the world through a 20-something lens, and that wasn't a bad thing. We intentionally wanted a younger worship leader who could help us to engage that generation effectively. But I had to help him grow and understand what it meant to see the world through some other lenses, and so I would ask him in worship service planning, will Sonny be able to do what you're planning? Will Sonny engage with the songs you're singing? Will he interface with the scripture reading that you're planning to do? Will he feel comfortable holding hands with everyone else in the service if you ask everyone to do that? Is he going to spontaneously be able to understand the message that I'm going to preach? And is he going to be able to write down its insights without some guidance or help? So it wasn't just the singing. It was every aspect of the service we would ask ourselves, how will Sonny experience this part of worship? Now, understand again. We weren't designing worship services just to connect with Sonny, but we were asking ourselves the question, how will a typical man, a working man, uh, a man who's committed to the Lord, committed to his church, but also not thinking about worship services every day like we are as as church leaders, how will he interface with what we're planning to do? And quite frankly, there were times when we had to back up and say, you know, this, this is an interesting thought we're having, or it's a super creative idea, or it might be really cool to do it. But then we'd back off and say, but you know what? That's really not what we're here for. We're not here about cool or trying to be creative or trying to do something no one else has ever done before. We're here to try to help Sonny meet God on Sunday. That's what we're trying to do. So the question really is, will this worship service aspect that we're planning right now, be it singing, preaching, praying, giving, responding, what we're talking about right now, will it help Sonny connect with God, and will he actually use this means or this vehicle that we're talking about to do that? So one of the ways that you can design worship services with men in mind, and remember, I didn't say only for men, I said with men in mind, 
is to pick out a representative man in your church who's a committed Christian, who's engaged faithfully uh, in serving, who has a evidence of a growing relationship with God. How will that person engage with what you're planning to do in worship and think about that as a part of your planning your services? Now, here's another thing you can do. And that is videotape your worship services and evaluate how men are participating. Now, again, a number of years ago when I first did this, I said to our worship leaders, I want you to videotape the services on Sunday and then we'll, we'll, I want us to watch them together and evaluate how we're doing. He said, great. And I knew what would happen and it did happen. I came to church on Sunday and he had a video camera set up and I said, I see you have the video camera set up to, uh, you know, very inobtrusively uh, videotape the service. And he said, yes. And I said, there's only one problem with that. You have the camera pointed at the stage. He said, well, well, yeah, I want us to evaluate how we're doing. I said, we know how we're doing. We, we know how we're doing. We want to evaluate the congregation. So I said, let's get that video camera. Let's put it on the stage in a place where it won't be noticeable. Let's Aim it toward the congregation where it gets the panorama of the most of the congregation in the screen, and let's turn it on and let's leave it on and let's forget about it. So we did. Well, a couple of days later, worship service evaluation at the staff meeting, I said, all right, let's watch some of the video. And we fast-forwarded till the time when the service actually started, and we turned on that video, and we just sat there. And after watching it for a little while, my worship leader turned to me and said, hardly anyone is singing. I said, yeah, I know. I said, look at the men. And he said, there's only one or two out of, out of, out of 200 that are even singing. I said, yeah, I, I know. And he was shocked because he's on the stage. He's caught up in the moment. He's surrounded by all these musicians and singers who are totally into what's going on. And he was not looking at the audience and seeing what was really happening out there. And what was really happening was a significant amount of disengagement. People standing there and watching the show. I said, is that really? He said, that's not what we're trying to accomplish. So by turning the video camera around and videotaping the audience and seeing, or the congregation and, and letting that be what you evaluate will help you to understand if what you're doing in worship services is really connecting with men. So if you look out there at your tape that you make of your worship service and you see men, they're not singing, they don't seem engaged during the message, uh, they're, they're maybe heads bowed in prayer, but you see them kind of also looking around or fidgeting and you know they're not really engaged there at all, or there either, it causes you some, some question, what, what are we really doing here? And are we really engaging uh, people in leadership in worship? Now this strikes at a whole other issue that I'll have to do another podcast on sometime. But this assumes that you really want people to participate rather than just watch the show on the stage. Now, if you want people to watch the show on the stage, forget what I'm saying right now. Just put on a show and let people watch. But if that's your definition of worship, I think you have some serious issues you need to resolve about what it really means to lead people into an encounter with God in a corporate worship setting. And if you say, well, that's their responsibility, uh, you're also abdicating your role as a leader. That's not their responsibility. It's your responsibility to lead them into an opportunity that they are into an encounter with God during that worship opportunity. So, first thing you can do to shape your church to connect more with men is to design worship services with men in mind. Think about a representative man like Sonny and ask yourself the question is what we're planning or what we're doing going to interface or interconnect with, or connect with Sonny? And if so, how? 
and then videotape your service. Not every Sunday, but from time to time. Just set up a camera, videotape your congregation, and look at what they're really doing during the singing, the praying, the giving, the preaching, and ask yourself, are these people engaged? Are they really engaged with what we're doing on the platform, and are they really connecting with God through this process? And if they're not, then ask why not and make the changes necessary to facilitate a better experience. Number two, a second way to shape your church to connect more with men is to train men to lead in public settings, particularly in worship settings, and then let them do it. Now, there's a number of ways you can go about this, but let me give you just one example from my, my pastoral days. Now, but this, is, this goes back a ways, and so it'll have to be adjusted a little bit if you try to do something like this today. But um, I tried this project when I was pastoring a church that had a Sunday morning service and a Sunday night service. And in those worship services, we typically had an opening prayer near the beginning of the service. We typically had an offering prayer during the middle of the service. And we typically had a closing prayer at the end of the service. Six prayers every Sunday. Now, if you had multiple services, you might have more prayers every Sunday. And even if you don't have a Sunday night service, but maybe you have Saturday night and two Sunday mornings, you're going to have more opportunities for prayer even than I've described. Now, let me tell you what typically happens in the churches I go to today. Very little intentionality given to planning the prayers. Very little. Someone sings a while and then they just spontaneously start talking to God and we're all supposed to bow our heads and catch up with them because obviously they're praying and we're supposed to be entering into that. And no real sense of planning or, 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 or thinking through a prayer or a prayer strategy that really facilitates people engaging in that moment and people leading in that moment who are really giving focused attention to, that, to prayer as a part of the worship experience. So what I did a number of years ago was I sat down with our worship leader and I said, look, here's what we're going to do. I want you to take this list of every active male uh, over 18 who participates in our church, every member, and I handed him a list, and it was a couple of hundred guys. I said, now I've eliminated the men off this list that are in nursing homes that are members of our church or men off this list who are members, but we haven't seen them in 12 years, that, those kind of people. But these are the people that are actively engaged in our church, meaning they come to our church at least once a month, uh, most of them more often, but they're people that are actively engaged. There's a couple hundred guys on the list. And I said, here's what you're going to do. I want you to start calling these men and asking them to lead the prayers on Sunday. Now, they can lead the opening prayer, they can lead the offertory prayer, they can lead the closing prayer. But you call these men and you ask them if they will lead that prayer. And no one in our church gets to pray twice until everybody's prayed once. And no more spontaneously just calling on someone in the service and saying, you know, Tom, how about leading us in prayer as we wrap it up today? No, no more of that. I want you to make prayer and planning who's going to pray and letting that person think through their prayer a part, uh, as a part of worship planning. Well, uh, at first, I got some, you know, you got to be kidding me type resistance, but finally, everyone understood that I was serious about this, and then they understood why I was doing it. I didn't want, I didn't, wasn't doing it for variety. I wasn't doing it because I wanted different people to pray. I was doing it because I knew that doing this would force men into a spiritual growth mode because they would take it seriously and they would want to prepare to pray. And here's what happened. We start calling men and asking them to pray, and they start calling me. And I got these kind of phone calls. Pastor, um, I was called and asked if I would lead the offering prayer on Sunday, on Sunday morning. And I said, yeah, that's great. 
Pastor, I, I've never prayed in public before. I, I've never led an offertory prayer. Can you help me? I said, I absolutely can help you. You want to talk about it now on the phone? Or you want to come by the office? And about half the time, the guys would say, I want to come by the office. And they would come by my office, and we'd spend 15, 20 minutes, and I would talk them through. Here's how you say a prayer in public. Here's how you write out your prayer. It's okay to write it out. That's okay. Here's how you think through what you want to pray. And what I often had happened through that year that we were doing this project was men coming up to me afterwards and saying, man, that that." That leading that prayer, that really refocused me. And, and I had to pray about the prayer and pray for the courage to get up there and, and just pray for God to help me. But he did. And I could see the growth and the confidence in them just from that experience. That was one, that was one response. But the other response, I have to tell you, I wasn't expecting, but I had it happen multiple times as well. And that is guys call my office and say, hey, pastor, can I come by and talk to you? I got asked to lead the opening prayer on Sunday. And I need to talk to you about that. I'm just like, sure, come on by. And they'd come by and they'd say something like this, Pastor, I, I, I can't get up there and pray. I said, well, why not? Well, there's something in my life that, that, that it just shouldn't be there if I'm going to get up in front of people and pray and represent the church that way. Well, well, what is it? And they would tell me. And I would say, well, why don't we talk about getting rid of that out of your life? Why don't we talk about growing and spiritually maturing and changing so that you can get up and lead a prayer? And I had an opportunity on multiple occasions to lead guys to make a discipleship commitment to change a lifestyle or to change a behavior or change an attitude so that they felt like they could participate in worship leadership by leading a prayer like I'm describing. So another way to shape men or shape uh, your church's ministries to engage more with men, is to train them to lead in public settings as something as simple, you might think, as simple as leading a prayer in public, helping those men to understand what it means to come before the congregation and lead the congregation in prayer. And then it had another, that had another great effect on our church, by the way. It raised the quality of the praying in our public worship services. Because now, we weren't just calling on somebody and they were saying a prayer, or the worship leader, same old person praying every Sunday, prayer, 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 they said the same old words every Sunday. No, these were people who really thought through and came before God and were spiritually prepared to lead the congregation before God. It was a powerful time for us. And it was so successful, we repeated it the next year and the next year, always trying to find ways to get more and more and more men trained, shaped, and spiritually prepared to lead in prayer and worship services as a means of discipling them and shaping our church to better connect with our men. Another thing that you can do is to have a strategy to train men for leadership. Now, this can take very various forms, but uh, my favorite form is just simply a simple form, and that is doing maybe one of two things, either forming a group of men that you take through a leadership development process over a period of maybe a year, or meeting with men one-on-one, -on -one, or in some rare cases, I guess you could try to do both. I'm acquainted with one pastor, for example, who every fall picks 10 men and says, I want you to go through a leadership class with me. Uh, we're going to meet for 10 weeks in the fall and 10 weeks in the spring. Uh, if you miss two, you're out. You can't come back. That's the commitment. And uh, they meet every week at 6 o'clock in the morning from 6 to 730. Uh, and he trains them for 10 weeks. You miss two, you're out. You can't come back. And uh, he's been doing this. At one point, he told me, he said, I've been doing this now for 28 years. And he said, every year I pick 10, and every year almost all 10 make it all the way through. 
And uh, those guys become the leaders of our church over time. Now, not every one of them zooms into leadership immediately, but he said over the years, me training those 10 guys for 10 weeks in the spring, 10 weeks in the fall, that's where my leadership base comes from. Now, I like to do that, but I like to do it one-on-one. When I was a pastor, and I always tried to have at least one, never more than three, guys that I was meeting with one-on-one every week to train for leadership. And these weren't guys that I was just trying to just disciple in their basic Christian faith or anything like that. These were guys I was having read leadership books or talk about leadership issues or really trying to shape them to understand what it meant to give broad-based leadership in our church. So uh, another way to be engaging of men in your church ministry is to have an intentional strategy yourself for training men for leadership. Now you say, well, what about women? What about teenagers? What about others? Train them all. But if you don't intentionally have a strategy to train men, you're never going to have more men engaging in leadership in your church and shaping your church's leadership. So train others as well, but make sure you have a strategy for training men. Now, number four, another way to shape your ministry uh, so that it's more engaging with men is to have some just-for-men events. Some things that are just for men, where men are the focus of evangelism, men are the focus of discipleship, and where men are the focus of ministry development. Now, again, this is about shaping your church to be more engaging with men. Your church should have also some events that are just for women. It should have events that are for men and women. It should have events that are for teenagers. I mean, it can have specialized events in other areas, and having them for men doesn't mean you don't have them for others, but have some just for men events. And these can take all kinds of forms and can sometimes be pretty creative. I'm acquainted with a church in northern Idaho that every fall has what they call elk camp. Elk camp. Now, everyone in that area pretty much is an elk hunter. And so what this church does is it sets up a two-week camp. It goes out in the woods. It sets up a camp, and it communicates those GPS coordinates to hunters in the area by all the means that hunters communicate, social media, signs up in gun stores, places where meat gets processed, all those places. And it says, this is the name of the church, and it says Elk Camp, um, and it has the coordinates where people can find it, and it says uh, come by for a meal, a cup of coffee, and to hook up with other hunters in the area. And they staff this this elk camp for two weeks. Now, others, women can come by, others can come by, but mostly it's men that come by. And they'll come by, and every noon and every evening, they've got a meal prepared, they've got coffee, uh, and they have a short devotional, and in the evening, they'll offer an optional Bible study for guys that want that as well. And they'll have anywhere from two to 25 guys come through there on a daily basis. It's a way to do something that's just for the men in their community and just for the men in their area that gives them a creative opportunity to both uh, engage men in something that they're doing and enjoying already, elk hunting, and also to engage them with uh, a level of fellowship and Bible study, which gives them a chance to sort of pick and choose how much they want to engage. You know, guys don't feel trapped. They don't have to stay in elk camp. They can move on down the road and camp in their own camp. But they can also bring, uh, bring. Uh, the, they can also come by elk camp and stay and spend a, a day or an afternoon, an evening, uh, a day or two, and make that their base as they hunt during that time of year. I'm just saying whether it's something as creative and as uh, invested as elk camp or something a lot more simple like just having an event at your church where you invite in a speaker and have just the guys come and hear the gospel. Some just-for-men events raise the level of church of participation for men and show some design of your church's ministry for them. And then finally, 
Another way to shape your church to connect more with men is to have some events that are for men to engage and shape boys. Now, one of the reasons that we joined the church where we are is because they have something that, that's, that really impressed me early on, and it's called the Good Man Ministry. Good Man Ministry. And it's drawn from that verse in the Acts where Par- Barnabas is described as being a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now, we talk a lot about what it means to have faith, and I've written a whole sections of books on what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit, but we don't talk much about that first phrase, being a good man. And so our church has decided that... Uh, they needed a ministry called Good Man Ministry to produce good men. And the focus of it is taking young men, uh, many of whom uh, have some challenges, no father in the home, maybe some struggles in school, maybe some brushes with the law, those kind of guys. But also it's open to any, any young man in the church. You don't have to be in trouble in some way to be a part of Good Man Ministries. But, but these, uh, this ministry is a mentoring program where older men in the church uh, meet with these younger guys, and uh, they meet with them as a group and meet with them individually and teach them about what it means to be a good man. And they talk about things like this. How do you order in a fancy restaurant? How do you tie a tie so you can go to an event that requires you to be dressed up a little bit? Um, how do you handle yourself in a job interview? What do you do when you get in conflict with someone like a coach or a teacher and you want to resolve that effectively? In other words, life skills. How do you be a good man? How do you demonstrate your faith and your integrity and your commitment to the Lord? How do you demonstrate that in very concrete ways so that people would say of you, There's, that's a good man. That's a good man. I love this ministry because of its practicality and its intentionality of helping young men learn how to do simple things. You know, young men want to learn how to be men. And sometimes they don't know who to ask, they don't know who to turn to, and they flounder along because they just don't have any model to help them. This ministry is trying to address that issue. And it's just another way of our church trying to say, men matter here, and we want to raise the bar, raise the level of engagement with men. So I want churches to engage women, teenagers, boys, girls. I want them to engage all all members of the community. But I'm talking today about shaping your ministry, not controlling your ministry by what men need, but shaping your ministry so that it effectively engages better with men. Here's how you do it. Design worship services with men in mind. Train men to lead in public settings, particularly even in worship service settings. Train men for leadership over the long haul with a slow approach of men's groups or individual men's trainings going on year after year after year so that a cadre of men gets produced for leadership. Have some just for men events and have some strategies where men have an opportunity to impact boys. These are some ways that you can shape your ministry to be more engaging and more effective with men. Please don't misunderstand the podcast. I want churches to have a comprehensive ministry And I think most churches do a pretty good job of that, but there's always some holes. And if one hole in your church's ministry is how it's engaging men, perhaps some of the suggestions I've made today will help you do that more effectively. Put some of this into practice and see if it doesn't make your church uh, more effective in its outreach to men, in its discipling of men, and and, and its turning men into leaders. Do that as you lead on.